following program contains language and subject matter that you may consider unsuitable for children. Parental discretion is advised. Greetings, Earthling. Uh, His Highness the Jackal. The Jackal. I'm going to pass the reins to Mr. Jackal, the new king of Virginia. I think Jackal's a Latino. I'm not sure, but he'll give it to you again. The Jackal. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Inside the Jackal's Head right here on psn-radio.com. Of course, we're also streaming live on soflowradio.com. I want to welcome everybody listening in through their shoutcast, through the browser, through their phone, anywhere you can catch us, folks. So welcome again, everybody. We have a great show for you tonight. Steve Pierce is going to be our guest of the evening. He'll be joining us in about 20 minutes, 25 minutes around there. And uh, really looking forward to having Steve on. He's one of the gentlemen who was in the truck the night that Travis Walton was abducted. That's right, the night that they took Travis, very infamous night in ufology, one of, of course, of the most famous cases in the world of ufology, the Travis Walton experience, is legendary. They even made a movie called Fire in the Sky. Uh, some of my listeners might, might know I've actually had Travis on this show and interviewed him myself. A great man, in fact... One of the main reasons why I do what I do, uh, guys, and I'm going to go over some personal stuff here in a minute, but one of the main reasons why I do this show originally was because of my interest in the subject of ufology and everything paranormal, but mostly mostly ufology, really. I really like the, the, you know, the notion that we're not alone, that there is something else out there. And early on as a kid, one of the cases that really just caught my imagination and caught my attention was the Travis Walton case. I remember going to the theater as a kid with my father to see that movie back in the early 90s. And uh, it was an amazing film back then. Not knowing the entire details of his story, my father did because he was, of course, older and he followed the original story when it came out. And uh, he had told me about it and he knew that I was interested in the subject. So we went to see it and that movie really kind of changed my life because I really do believe that Travis Walton was abducted and, and after interviewing the man himself, I mean, I'm 100% a believer. These guys all pass lie detector test. I mean, there's... Very little that you could do to uh, poke any holes in their story because it's remained the same. I mean, there's no holes to be poked, to be honest. Uh, Travis is as credible as they come. In fact, one of the few people in ufology that I believe 100%. And you might be saying, wait a second, you do a show based on ufology. But, but yeah, listen, and, you know, one of the terrible things about ufology over the last decade has been the amount of hoaxers and con artists and individuals that are just coming into it to try to make a buck. Uh, Travis is not that guy. Travis really did have an experience. Travis has never become a millionaire off of this experience. In fact, he retired working in the same place he was working when he was abducted. So, Or he worked right after uh, for many years in that same place. So, you know, this is not a person who went out and, and sought out fame or anything like that, even though, yes, they made a movie and he has a book and all that stuff. Uh, it's still, he didn't get rich by this, in fact, him and people like Steve, our guest tonight, Steve Pierce, had it pretty rough over the last uh, couple of decades. Uh, of course, there's just, there's the scrutiny that goes along with being that kind of a person that puts himself out there as an abductee. There's that scrutiny, and of course, there's the backlash that come from people who are maybe working for the government or maybe has some secret agenda against the truth coming out. 
uh, maybe just people scared of the truth. You know, these guys faced a lot, and I really am interested in, in listening to Steve tell it from his point of view, from his angle. You know, I've already heard Travis's point of view. I know Travis. I've spoken to him a couple times. I'm dying to have him back on the show here, by the way. Uh, so maybe we could put that together in the future, me and Travis, and have him return uh, to the show. But, you know, to listen to another person who was in the truck and was there and was an experiencer from a different angle is amazing to me. So really, really am looking forward to having him on. There are some uh, new stories that I want to get to, and uh, there's some big new stories uh, out right now. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but, of course, this marked the 50th anniversary of the JFK assassination. 50 years ago, President John Fitzgerald Kennedy passed away at the hands of who the hell knows, right? Who knows, really, because Lee Harvey Oswald, yeah, he took the blame. He took the bullet by Jack Ruby. Did he really do it? Was it Lee Harvey Oswald that actually committed the assassination? Was he alone if he was involved in in the assassination? Who else might have been involved? But here's a whole different question. Did JFK indeed have to die? See, a new book by Robin Haynes suggests that maybe the government thought he did. And now I'm going to go read part of an article here by my good friend Robert Morningstar of UFO Digest. Talks about this very question. Did JFK deserve to die? Now it says here, in in a year there has been a plethora of books of every kind on President Kennedy's assassination. With over 40,000 published in the past five decades alone, one book that I've read this year stands out for asking the remarkable question. Did JFK indeed deserve to die? Now a new book written over the span of 35 years by author Robin Haynes explores that very question in detail. The author contends that in the context of the times, i.e. the Cold War era, and in view of the national values and official diplomatic national security and military policies of the United States government, JFK's actions during the last year of his life were viewed, Haynes asserts, as high treason when seen through the eyes of the powers that were the military-industrial complex, now against which President Eisenhower had so wisely warned the nation in his final address. It is certain that the American power elite, including people like the CIA and Alan Dulles, uh, General Richard Cabell, and uh, General Curtis LeMay, General Irwin Walker, J. Edgar Hoover, Richard Nixon, and Lyndon Johnson, viewed John F. Kennedy as a traitor, maybe a communist sympathizer. Now, although I do not agree, says Robert Morningstar, with the opinions of the men listed above, the exception of some of Robin Haynes' theories about who conducted the assassination in uh, the Daily Plaza. I believe that her argument deserves scrutiny and due historical consideration. As an avid and lifelong admirer of John F. Kennedy, I take exception to the notion that JFK was a traitor, and I reject the idea that he was a communist or a Marxist sympathizer. John F. Kennedy absolutely despised communism, defining it, exposing it, decrying its subservience methods, thereby clearly rejecting every bit of it explicitly in his anti-secrecy speech, in which he condemned its tactics and methodology. However, in a free and open society, we should be willing to hear the other opinions and ideas on why and how JFK was killed and by whom. You can check out the article over on UFODigest.com. This is probably the greatest conspiracy story in his country's history, the JFK assassination. I don't think it's one of those that'll just go away. It really will never go away until there is an answer, and I don't think we're ever going to see an answer to the JFK assassination. To be honest, I think this is going to be one of those cases which is going to just continue to grow in mythology over the years, and we're never going to see a true answer as to who killed President Kennedy. Check out the article by the great Mr. Robert Morningstar, and once again, the book is by Robin Haynes. It's called Probable Cause. Did John F. Kennedy 
have to die. Everybody has something to say right now because, of course, this is the 50th anniversary of the JFK assassination. And one person who decided to throw his two cents in there is none other, none other than Fidel Castro, who some have actually accused in the past of being involved in the Kennedy assassination. So this is remarkable, the fact that this man is coming forward and... Um, He's talking about the JFK assassination. He recently said in an interview, and this was reported over on theatlantic.com. You might want to check that website out. Very cool website. It said, uh, says here, Fidel Castro, Oswald could not have been the one who killed Kennedy. Now, that's what the Cuban leader thinks really happened on the faithful day of November in Dallas. What does he really think? It says here, Fidel Castro shares his at least one belief with the major of the Americans and, uh, and and this is true he major of the majority of Americans really believe that Oswald did not act alone or that he didn't kill Kennedy so the article is right off the bat saying something that's very truthful Fidel does share at least one belief with the majority of Americans he is convinced that the assassination of President Kennedy was not the work of a lone gunman but the culmination of a broad conspiracy according to a recent Gallup poll 61% of Americans believe that Lee Harvey Oswald did not act alone in Dallas 50 years ago but Castro suspects that Oswald might not have been involved in the assassination at all now here's what he had what he had to say. He says, "To my great surprise, over lunch one day in Havana, this is the reporter uh, saying." I, he says, "I have reached the conclusion. This is directly quoted from Castro. I've reached the conclusion that Oswald could not have been the one who killed Kennedy." Castro is, of course, a con- confident man, but he said that uh, this with a degree of surety that was noteworthy. Says the reporter. He says, "I was visiting Havana three years ago at Castro's invitation." I had just written a cover story for The Atlantic about Israel's threat to strike military Iran, military at Iran's nuclear facilities. Castro read the article and sent me a message through the Cuban interest section in Washington. He would like me to uh, come to Cuba as soon as possible in order to discuss my findings with him. I obliged, he said. Kennedy was only a peripheral subject in the discussion, Castro, I found, was preoccupied with the threat of nuclear war and per- proliferation uh, as one would expect him to be he was one of three key players in an episode in uh, Cuban in the Cuban Missile Crisis that took place in 1962 uh, that nearly brought about the destruction of the planet that's right John F. Kennedy was his adversary that's why a lot of people think that Castro was involved in the Kennedy assassination at one point I mentioned to him the letter he wrote to Khrushchev at the height of the crisis in which he asked the Soviets to consider launching a nuclear strike against the US if the Americans attacked Cuba that would that would be the uh, time to think about liquid, uh, liquidating such a danger forever such a legal right of self-defense he wrote in Havana I asked him at a certain point it seemed logical for you to recommend that the Soviets bomb the US does what do you recommend uh, seem logical now he answered uh, he answered, "Well, I've seen what I've seen, and knowing what I know now, it wasn't it wasn't worth it all. I've expressed relief that Khrushchev uh, ignored the request. Castro was also deeply concerned about the level of anti-Semitic rhetoric stemming from uh, the Tehran, and wanted to uh, communicate his displeasure to then President of Iran, Mohammed." Uh, Mama Jed, uh, probably butchering his name, uh, through an intermediary uh, that wrote about Fidel's views 
of Iran and Israel there. Uh, but basically, the article goes on to mention that Castro did not believe that Oswald acted alone, and there is a major conspiracy behind the Kennedy assassination. Uh, and he says a conspiracy that is even bigger than even the Lincoln assassination at one point so a very interesting article again go to the atlantic.com it's a very long article i'm going to have enough time to read the whole thing but uh very interesting and you know moving from that one and sticking with the jfk assassination there's also uh you know many people who believe that jfk was killed over ufos for example and you know jumping right into this here you know castro thinks there's a bigger conspiracy as to why kennedy was killed well what if aliens had something to do with it well, it says here that JFK killed because of his secret interest in aliens. A secret memo that shows the president demanded UFO files 10 days before his death. And this is coming from uh, MailOnline.com, the DailyMail.co.uk. Daily Mail Online it says here, an uncovered letter written by JFK to the head of the CIA shows that the president demanded to be shown highly confidential documents about UFOs 10 days before his assassination. The secret memo is one of two letters written by JFK asking for information about the paranormal on November 12, 1963, which has been released by the CIA for the first time. Okay, now... This is, you know, just to put everything into perspective, there is, of course, never going to be, I think, a real answer as to why Kennedy was killed. But it's funny that there are so many different links and uh, into his murder, into his assassination. I want to highly recommend a movie that I saw a couple weeks ago that deals with the Kennedy assassination, and it's uh, dealing with the day after. Or the day of, actually, and what happens to the events after the assassination itself. Uh, the movie's called Parkland. Highly recommended. It stars. Uh, it's an all-star cast uh, of young actors. You know, uh, Colin Hanks is in it. Tom Welling is in it. Efron, Han- uh, Efron, Zach Efron, whatever his name is, is in it. Uh, there's you know a lot of good actors, a lot of young actors in it. But it's a very very good movie. Parkland, again dealing with the day after, or the day of the assassination, but the moments after the president's death. Uh, Paul Giamatti also plays uh, Zapruder in that movie. So highly recommended. And again, celebrating the fiftieth anniversary of the death of JFK. Now, do you guys know also what happened 50 years ago? Any of you? No? Well, 50 years ago, on that same day that Kennedy was killed, there was a little TV show in the UK that aired for the very first time. For the very first time. Nobody had ever heard of this show. It, it was the idea of a crazy person, really, in, uh, in somewhere in the UK, who thought it would be a great idea to have a show about space and time in travel. I'm of course talking about Doctor Who, which celebrated yesterday its 50th anniversary, and let me tell you, the 50th anniversary special was just phenomenal. I, you know, I've seen it a bunch of times now. Absolutely love the 50th anniversary special. I think they did a fantastic job with it. Uh, you know, kudos to Steve Moffat and everybody else who was involved in that thing. Uh, it's just, uh, it's, it's a great time to be a Doctor Who fan. Celebrating the 50th uh, year, check this out, Doctor Who, an adventure in space and time, drew more than 2 million viewers. Now, this is a a TV movie made about the first Time Lord, the first Doctor, and it drew about 2 million viewers. That's a lot of viewers, but yesterday they aired the actual 50th anniversary episode, and that got over 10 million viewers. Uh, Also, it set a record, and I'm going to bring up the article here. This is... It says here, Doctor Who Anniversary Show Gets Big Ratings in the UK. 
And this is from usatoday.com. More than 10 million people in the UK tuned into the episode with Matt Smith and David Tennant. British TV viewers turned in turned out in big numbers to celebrate the uh, homegrown sci-fi hero. According to the BBC, the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who, the Day of the Doctor, special on Saturday night was seen by 10.61 million people, besting the British version of X Factor that had an audience of 7.7 million. And that was, uh, but that, you know, sadly, it was not the most popular show of the evening. However, Strictly Come Dancing garnered about 11.7 million viewers, because you know, I guess people like to dance, right? People like dancing. But uh, uh, you know, it was a great show, Day of the Doctor. And you know, that number is kind of skewed because even earlier in the day, here there was millions of people watching. In fact, it set a record as being the, I think it was like the first global. Um, show that you know, it aired globally everywhere. I mean, this this thing is phenomenal. This is a huge event. In addition to the UK ratings, the Day of the Doctor also earned the Guinness World Record for the world's largest ever simulcast of any TV drama. It broadcast in get this, ninety four countries simultaneously. Uh, some people were seeing it early in the daytime. They did an early day um, screening, so you can see it in, in the day. So I mean. This was seen by more than 10 million people. Just again, Doctor Who is a legendary show. It's going to be you know around before you know after I'm dead and gone for sure. Man, I love that show. It was such a great episode too. It was just uh, so cool to see Matt Smith and uh, David Tennant and John Hurt all together you know, it, as the three Doctors. And I love the way they pulled everything off. You know, I don't want to give too much away or give anything away because if you haven't seen it, you definitely should. If you're a Doctor Who fan, you should definitely watch this episode. But the way they pulled off the ending and they put everybody together, all the doctors kind of were there. Uh, very, very, very cool stuff. A very cool episode. And uh, again, my hat's off to the showrunner, Steve Moffat, who uh, for months kept his mouth quiet about what was going on and for months teased the audience uh, about this episode and really built an amazing hype for this show. And the ratings and uh, the fact that it, it gained a Guinness World Record Shows you that, uh, you know, sometimes teasing the audience and kind of staying quiet about all the facts works. Huh? All right, then. So anyway, again, shout-outs to Steve Moffat for a great episode of Doctor Who. One more thing I want to get to. Uh, This is very important, very, very important. In fact, uh, legendary radio personality Art Bell is in the news again. Art Bell, of course, uh, and look, Art Bell is one of the main reasons why I do this radio show. And this is what I meant earlier when I said I wanted to get personal for a little bit, because I want to talk about this. This is kind of a bizarre story. Art Bell recently came back to radio. After years of uh, being off of radio, of course, Art Bell, legendary for Coast to Coast AM. Uh, he's been on radio for a long time and just had has probably the best show on the genre. By far. I mean, nobody can touch Art Bell. Uh, let's be honest. We all wish we were Art Bell. Everybody who does a show like this wishes that he or she was Art Bell because he is simply the best. And, you know, when I was a kid growing up, I listened to four show hosts that really caught my attention. Art Bell was number one, Phil Hendry, um, Neil Rogers, and George Rodriguez. Those were the four main hosts that me growing up, me, the Jackal, Angel Espino growing up, listened to on a regular basis. And nobody caught my attention more than Art Bell because, again, of the subjects that he talked about, ufology, paranormal, stuff that I was into growing up. And... When he left radio, it, it was devastating for me for a while because I really loved his format. I listened to it every single night. I was a fan, okay? And 
to lose our belt once is horrible. Now to lose him again after he just came back six weeks ago is bananas. Simply bananas. But if you go to artbelt.com, um, they've posted all the information on there. I don't want to get too into what happened. Uh, but he had a falling out with uh, Sirius XM Radio. He's no longer doing his show on there. Uh, it has to do with Coast to Coast and some stuff they did which uh, Art didn't take too kindly to, and something that XM was doing that Art didn't take too kindly to, and Art actually had every right to move on and uh, get away from Sirius XM after what was transpiring. The sad news is, though, that now it seems like Art Bell is going to be out of radio for two years because of the contract that he has with uh, Sirius XM. So for the next two years, we're not going to have any Art Bell. That's terrible. I mean, let's face it, Art Bell is a legend in radio. If you're not going to use him, just let him go. Let him do his thing. Art Bell wants to get on internet radio and do everything on the internet like he should have done from the beginning, to be honest. I mean, this is the future, folks. Uh, AM radio, FM radio, that's great stuff. Sirius XM radio, yeah, that's cool, but the future is on the internet. Online radio will be the dominating radio force in the future. Even, you know, Howard Stern wants to get off Sirius XM or whatever Sirius radio or whatever satellite radio he's on, uh, he, even he wants to get on internet radio. He said it. Th- th- this is where he's going to end up because this is the future of radio. And now we have to wait two years for this stupid contract. And I know our bill is kind of, you know, doesn't want to play too much into uh, the politics of what happened because that's just the way our bill is. But as a fan, I, I'm really upset by it, and I'm upset because I was just so happy to hear this again. That's right. If you listen to Art Bell, you know this music. It's almost as legendary as The Doctor's theme. Right? Well, it seems now that because of this stupidity with uh, Sirius XM, uh, we're going to lose Art Bell for perhaps maybe two years. And that's just really bizarre. There's petitions and all kinds of stuff online. Uh, it's probably the worst news uh, when it comes to radio. And of course, our bell is teasing it as extraterrestrial radio. Uh, you know, Hopefully he can get away from this contract and we can get him on uh, radio and online radio where the future is. Art, we definitely want you back on radio, my friend. Hopefully we can make that happen. Guys, we're going to be back in a few minutes with our guest, Steve Pierce, who's going to join us live right here on Inside the Jackal's Head. All right, everybody, we are back live on Inside the Jackal's Head right here again on psn-radio.com, soflowradio.com. Of course, we are live on TalkStream Live every Sunday night at 10 p.m. Eastern. If you guys catch us over there, you'll see how we usually beat Glenn Beck, and I'm really proud of that, by the way, beating him a couple times hate that guy. But uh, right now I am joined by the guest of the evening, Mr. Steve Pierce, a gentleman who really needs no introduction because if you follow the Travis Walton case at all, you would know that you know this gentleman was inside the truck the night that Travis was abducted. Steve, it's really my pleasure to have you on this show. Thank you so much for being with us tonight on Inside the Jackal's Head. How are you doing, my friend? Pretty good. Hey, thank you for having me. No, like I said, the pleasure is all mine. You know, Travis Walton, and I said it earlier in the show, is one of the main reasons why I got into ufology as a kid, why I got into the subject, why I wanted to do a little research and wanted to do shows eventually on it. Um, You know, Art Bell played a big part in becoming a radio host, but it was really Travis Walton 
and that experience that got me into the subject itself. And I've spoken to Travis. I've had him on the show. He's a great guy. I mean, I have no ill will at all towards anything he said in, in the last uh, couple of decades because I, I believe him 100%. I think he really had that experience. But I've always wanted to get the point of view of somebody else who was there. And thank you for contacting me and making this happen because, uh, you know, I, I am really just amazed by the whole thing that happened with Travis. And, I, you know, to get your point of view of what happened that night I think is very important for everybody in ufology to listen to, especially those serious researchers like myself. You know, let's let's start from the very beginning. You know, you guys were a crew. You you were workmen. Yeah. Well, they was. Tell they, us exactly was, how it uh, happened. Huh? Now, tell us from your point of view how that night happened. Okay, there was seven of us, and two of them were kind of new. John Glett wasn't new, but John Glett was Mike Rogers were were uh, were brother-in-laws and. John came up with uh, uh, another guy named Alan Dallas. I'm not Alan Dallas, but Dwayne Smith. And and uh, so that that Monday we started off with a new crew because uh, a week or so before my uncle and cousin and another guy quit, so we were short-handed. And and uh, well, we all used to meet at Mike's house, and and um. I think it was a Wednesday morning and we all met and we were all still usually one day and during the week somebody missed because this was this was really hard work. And and I think it was Wednesday and in the middle of the week and we all met met Mike's house again, we all loaded up and all we all went out there and it took forty five minutes or so and we went to Heber and then we went back into the on the dirt roads and and we we get there and Mike tells us what we have to do and we have to work over because because we get paid on a um how much uh, we get cut you know we get paid by the anchor and right and uh, so so we we get out there and we're working and like any other day and um the day went the day went on and we all loaded up and it was starting to get dark and. Out there, once it gets dark, it's dark. You're not going to see nothing, you know, because there ain't electricity out there. You can see a lot of stars, a lot of stars. And so we all loaded up, and and we was in a seven, uh, there were seven of us in a two-seated pickup truck. Uh, there was three in the front seat. Mike Rogers was driving, the crew boss. King Peterson was in the middle. Um, out, um, Travis Walton was on was on the shotgun side in the front seat next to the door. Behind him, in the back seat next to the window, was Alan Dallas, mm. then me, then John Goulet, and then Dwayne Smith was on the far left behind Mike. Dwayne Smith, they took him out of the movie. They took him completely out of the movie. Why did they do that? Changed, huh? Why did they take him out of the movie? I don't know why. They changed my name. They said they couldn't find me, but I guess they really wanted to. I was related to Half That Mountain back in back then, you know. I had all kinds of relatives who lived up there. <laughs> <laughs> now, in, yeah. in, the, in the movie, who played the part of you uh, was um, Henry Thomas, right? Yeah, it was Henry Thomas. Yeah. He's the kid in the movie. I'm the 17-year-old. Uh, Mike thought I was 18 when he hired me in... But I was only 17. I, I, um, I am the kid in the movie. And then John Goulet 
he's one of the other guys, and they changed his name. He's the one with the cowboy hat on, but he doesn't like that because he didn't wear a cowboy hat on. You know, this was the 70s, and he had long hair and, you know. <laughs> and Kenny Peterson, the one that called the cops, um, they changed his name. You know, so well, they... Was, uh, they changed, what, did they change it to, was it David Whitlock, I think, in the movie? That was his uh, name? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, that's supposed to be Kenny Peterson. You know, so they changed his name too, and and uh, Dwayne Smith, they took him completely out of the mo- uh, out of the movie. He's not even in the movie, his character. But you know, it's my character because I'm the kid. You know, if you look at the polygraph test, I can prove it. You know, I w- you know because of the polygraph test and because I was there. But what, let me ask you: being in there and watching the movie many years later, how accurate was it? Even though they changed some of the the names and uh, admitted one of the characters, you know, from the, uh, the movie's mostly wrong. Really? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of the stuff in there is right. Like uh, when Travis, the part about Alan Dallas chopping down the tree mm-hmm. um, and almost hitting Travis, that's true. I saw that. Okay. And I was the first one to take the polygraph test when you know you know when we when we took the polygraph test. It shows me going in there first. Right. Henry Thomas going in there first. His name is Greg Hayes. Okay. Um, Greg Hayes. Um, that's. Um, that's they, you. That, that's, they, they, that's what was my name in the movie. Is Greg right. Hayes? I, I think it was Greg Thomas Hayes or something like something that. Something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um. So at least they but, got that part. Um, they, they got that part of accurately. I mean, they, they got the, the yeah. But the part about me going out there with with uh, uh, the next day looking for um, um, for for Travis. That's not true. I wasn't out there. Okay. You know, I, I, they, when they came to my door um, the next morning, they were going to go out there and look for him. And my, my mom was on the front porch, and I told her what happened the night before, but I don't think she really believed me until the next morning. But I can hear it. To, I can hear them telling my mom that, that you know, we think Travis is dead, and we're going to go out there and we're going to find a body, you know. So I just went out the back door and grab, you know, I grabbed my boots and my cowboy hat and I ran out the back door and I was gone. I hit <laughs> all day. You you wanted no part of that, huh? Well, would you go out there with a hundred cops and look for a dead body? No, not at all. No, man. <laughs> I do not. I cannot say I blame, especially at your age. I cannot blame you. No, no, no. Heck, no. <laughs> well, John Gillette told me that when he went out there, that he had a cop that stayed right behind, right beside him the whole time. The cop kept telling him, "You might as well confess right now." You know, we know we know you guys did something to him. And I thought they was going to go out there and find the body. I just knew they were going to find him dead out there somewhere. Now, for five far- days, I thought Travis was dead. As far as the actual, uh, you know, the the ship. And the beam and all that stuff that happened in the movie was that pretty fairly accurate to what you saw from your point of view? Do what now? The ship itself, when you guys uh, pulled up to the light, the ship's, uh, the... the ship's not even close. Neither is the beam. Okay. I was so, you know, I didn't. I I knew this movie came out in '93. Right. Um, I was in. I was at a, a truck stop in Barstow, California, and. And uh, I went in there and I did some fuel. And I just got loaded, and I was going to New Orleans. And I went, I went get fuel, and went to the fuel island to pay for the and the fuel desk to pay for the, the fuel. And I went to the restroom, and on the way out, I went to the TV room, 
because, you know, they got big TV rooms and truck stops, and I see if anybody was going to drive for the rest of the night, and it's about 1 o'clock in the morning, and there's Travis Walton on HBO talking about the movie Fire in the Sky, and that's how I knew they made a movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, and I didn't I didn't even see the movie until, I think it was 2009, before I actually saw the movie, and the only reason I saw it was because of my youngest daughter. You know, and I, because I, I broke my neck and I had surgery done, and I was home, and and uh, me and my daughter watched it together. So I didn't. It came out in '93, and I didn't watch it until 2000. I think it was 2009. Wow! And the That's first amazing. couple times, it made me so mad to watch it. I couldn't watch it. But um, the last couple of weeks, I've been watching it a couple of times just to see what the movie actually is, so I can, you know be accurate about it you know but for a long time i wouldn't watch it at all it, it make me mad you know, steve, what happened i you know steve i had travis on a couple of years ago uh, that was one of the the you know the, really the the biggest interviews that i really wanted to do was to get travis on it and talk to him about this case and i asked him you know all kinds of questions and at the end of the day uh it was very clear that he wasn't happy with the movie either uh, there's stuff in there that he wished they would have done differently. Uh, you, you know, there's of course the the whole scenes with the aliens and stuff that he really wished. You know what makes me brought. mad about the whole movie? This is what makes me mad about the whole movie. The National Enquirer. It, mm. It's through that movie, all the way through that movie, and that never happened. Really? I don't know why they put that in there. They they got me holding a National Enquirer a couple of times in there. That didn't happen. You know. And that, that that part just makes me mad, you know. And the you know when the cop looks through the, uh, uh, it shows me holding it, talking about it, going to work that day. And then that night when we come back in and we're at this cafe that never existed, we didn't go to a cafe. We went to a cat. We the first place we stopped at was a was a sub um, phone station. It was a substation, and there was two pay phones on the side of the building there. And we stopped there, and King Peterson got out, and he's the one that, uh, that made the phone calls, and he called right. the, the cops. He called the operator, and they got a hold, you know, and and they told him about a missing person, and, and King didn't say nothing about Travis, you know, being being zapped or anything. And so when we, when we left there, we went farther into town, you know, to the main highway where our gas station was, and we sat there on the main highway and waited for the police department showed up. You know, we didn't walk into a restaurant, you know, so. What do you think they and, did that in the movie? Why do you think they re revised history like that and changed what it really happened? I don't know why they would do that, you know, because I think the story of what really happened is better than what yeah. they came up with. Which is, that's what I was, I was saying when I was talking to Travis. It's clear that he do, is not happy with the movie. And we both came to the conclusion. After reading the book, really, I, I came to the conclusion. I even said to him, the the story that you know that he wrote in the book, what really happened between you guys, is more interesting and is better than what they actually showed in the movie. Like the whole thing with the aliens and the the Nordic-looking aliens coming down and you know walking them from one corridor to another. To me, that would have been great to see on the movie. I don't know why they omitted that. Well, that part about the National Enquirer really makes me mad. And the part about Mike Rogers dropping us off and turning around and looking for him by himself. Come on. That, that, never, happen. that never happened either. Travis no way. That, yeah. Mike would have never. Not yeah. one of us would have had enough. Um, are we on cable or are we on AM, FM? 
No, no. <laughs> well, we're we're on internet radio, but we do try to keep it clean. But uh, you, okay, but you can use a word similar way. to the one you want to use. None of us were ever turned around by ourselves and went back after what we just went through by ourselves to look for somebody. Yeah, you know, and it took us a while. We 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 were out out of the truck for at least fifteen minutes. You know, and then Kenny Peterson. Kept saying, and John Glick kept saying, we have to go back and, and look for him. We can't leave him behind, you know. So we all got back in that, that in those in that pickup and, and turned around and went and looked for him. And we, we when we got there, we couldn't find him, you know. And uh, we looked. We had one flashlight, and we just couldn't find him. He, just, he was nowhere to be found. And that's when it started getting scary, because that's when they started talking about calling the cops. You know, and I'm thinking, whoa, man, <laughs> my poor mom. <laughs> uh, my dad just died like a year or two before this happened, and we've been um, driving this woman nuts. She had my dad died, and she left her left her with six boys, young young boys, and we were driving uh, Mason Police Department nuts. So she moved us to Oakland, where my grandparents live, and that's how we ended up there. You there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm listening. I just heard him. Well, let me ask you. You know, let me segue a little bit here. We know the National Enquirer stuff. I, I have a feeling that a lot of the stuff that they put in the movie, like the National Enquirer stuff, the Mike Rogers going back by himself. Uh, there's certain things in the movie. I think that was added in there almost to add a level of. Uh, I don't know of shadiness to the whole event, like to make it look like if you guys were lying in the movie. Do you think that could be uh, one of the agendas behind the movie to almost make it look like you were deceiving in a way or that you were kind of the story? I guess, I guess, you know, they did make, you know, it is a pretty good movie. You got to admit, it's pretty cool to watch, you know. I oh, think it, they did I, a good, I think I, they did a good job. I'm telling you, they this one, didn't tell the, they didn't, was, didn't was, tell the story right. If you're just into the, the subject and you've never, you know, heard of the story and you watch that movie, it's a very impressionable movie. It does make an impression on you. So, like I said, well, I saw it as a kid. People, it's giving the people the wrong impression about about about, about the grave. You know, they're, 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 they look at the, you know, they look at this, this happen. They're going to kidnap us and, and do this to us? Come right. on, man. I mean, I, I don't I've never had really bad experience with them. Now, have you had further experience? I put a thing in my eyeball. That's never happened to me. (laughs) Well, that leads to another question, Steve. Have you had further experiences uh, with uh, abductions? Yes. You have? Yes. Okay, let's go into that because that's very interesting. Because a lot of abductees, and you weren't abducted that night. It was Travis who was abducted, but you shared uh, the experience. Do you know who Yvonne Smith is? Say it again? Do you know who Yvonne Smith is? Yvonne Smith, no, I do not. Um, she, I've been working with her. She's been uh, hypnotizing me, and, and um, um, I've gone, I've, I've seen her five times, and okay. she's come out with some stuff, and um, and I, I, I was abducted in, I think it was '93. Uh, I think it was. Do you think it was Back by the, by the same beings that abducted Travis? I don't know yet. I think we're gonna. I really don't want to get into this. You know, okay. because it's still going. You know, we're still not done yet. So, gotcha. um, but you, but you are an experiencer. Yeah, they, she found more, some stuff out, huh? But you are more. You're an experiencer more than just uh, being there that night. Then you, you've had your own 
uh, personal experience with the same, or at least the grades. We'll call them just the grades. We don't know if they're the yeah, same. Yeah, I, I, I have never seen nothing that uh, that Travis saw, the, um, the ones that look like us with astronauts. Okay. I've never seen those. I've only seen grades. I've only seen four of them. And I've never seen anything that, um, you know, the lizard kind. I've never gotcha. seen those. You know, I've... No, there's a lot of other kinds that they show that I've never seen. I've only seen a graze. Now, what, got, what got you interested in doing the, the hypnotic regression uh, therapy and, and trying to, you know, did you have a memory that maybe that came to you or, you know, what got you into the whole idea of, you know, let me see if I've had an experience. Do, do I now? Like what got you into the, into the mindset of uh, having yourself, you know, have a, a regression session with a therapist to try to, you know, see if you were an experiencer also. I, I, at first, I didn't want to do it. Um, I met Yvonne Smith about about two years ago. Um, Travis introduced us, and he he wanted me to talk to her. And 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 at first, I went to her office in L.A. and everything. We had talked, and 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 I seen her at a couple conferences, and we talked again. And and at first, I didn't want to do it for a year. I, I didn't want to do it. I wasn't going to do it at all. I even told her, you know, you can't. Yeah, I'm not going to do this. You know. And so I finally, uh, you know, maybe there's more. Maybe I should just do it once, you know. So I did it once just to, you know, to go back. Because Travis wanted me to see, too, you know. So he's the one in addition to the bonds now. And, well, they did the first time. It, it, it was done in L.A. And um, there's nothing about fire in the sky. And. I've got a 12-minute clip on it, and I kind of freak out on the first one. But they put me back when I was 17, and the, the first one kind of freaked me out. Um, they, I've done five of them, and it seems to get better as you do more. But I think I'm going to do one more and not do them anymore. Really? Yeah. I've, now, got, to finish what we, I've got to finish what we started. You know, right, right, right. Now, are you the only yeah, one it, other than Travis in the group that's had experiences outside of what happened to Travis? I don't know. I don't see those guys. I don't. I have never seen. I I, I see John Goulet at a couple of conferences. But as far as uh, Dwayne Smith, I don't even know where he's at. And Kenny Peterson, um, he was supposed to do a conference with us in Show Arizona this past summer, and he didn't show up. So I haven't seen him in thirty-eight years. Wow. Um, uh, the badass in the movie, Alan Dallas, he passed away of a heart attack um, two years ago now. They found him on, on uh, at a red light leaning over the steering wheel, and he had a heart attack. Oh, wow. And, and as far as Mike Rogers goes, I haven't seen Mike Rogers since, since I left Snowflake. Now so you I, don't, moved, I don't see none of these guys. You've moved around a lot. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that's happening since you know this happened. Uh, you've moved around a lot because you've had you know people, of course, uh, attacking you, and uh, this has been kind of a nightmare for you, hasn't it? Well, at, at first it was. Um, it, um, I guess it's always been a nightmare. I guess I still have. You know, after you get hypnotized, you have a lot of a lot of uh, nightmares afterwards. I can imagine. Um, the first time they did it to me. Um, uh, I was waking up with real bad sweats and, and screaming, and that's why I don't even want to do it, man. Cause you, you, it brings it all back, you know. Well, 
Where was we at? <laughs> no, but you say it brings it all back, but I mean, at the same time, you, you said earlier that uh, the movie paints a, a bad picture of the Greys. Now, were your experiences from you know your aggression were the experiences negative or uh, have they been My positive? Experience? Yeah, they've been positive. I mean, what, Mine's what, been what positive. level? They've been positive that I can remember. You know, um, and I have a, a guardian alien. You know, I have an alien that takes care of me, so. A guardian alien? My guardian alien, huh? A guardian alien. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it could be what people mistake as guardian angels. Angels, That's aliens. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's honestly, no jokes aside. I think it's all relative. To be honest with you, I think angels, uh, demons, all that stuff that we have in mythology and lore. I think all that comes from mistakenly identifying them as those things when they really are extraterrestrial. Yeah, I mean that's just my personal theory. Well, I um, I mean I don't know how you feel about. I don't know how you feel. About how, how do you how do you, how deep do you want to go on this? <laughs> <laughs> well, we we have another thirty five minutes. Uh, we can go pretty deep on this one if you like. I do have to take a break in about ten minutes, though. So uh, let's uh, let's start it off. Uh, you know. What do you, what are your beliefs? I don't want to get into you know politics or religion too much, but I, I do like this. Uh, part I ain't of talking the about politics, but I'll talk about my religion. I, I, I like this part of the conversation because you know I do believe that it is all relative. Like I said, I do think the aliens yeah, so I. have been uh, for a long time misinterpreted as demons, a ghost, you know, all kinds of different activities. Uh, you know, let's speak about your alien guardian. You know how. Have been your experiences uh, separately from what happened to Travis? How has been your experiences with the Guardian Alien, and what's going on with you at this moment? Totally agree with that statement. What? She agrees with me. Do I know? She agrees with me. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, somebody on this show agrees with me. But no, seriously. uh, Oh, you heard that? I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's cool. It's cool. But Steve, no, seriously though. You know, what has your experience been like with uh, with this guardian? Because I'm really intrigued about this guardian alien. Uh, I'm intrigued anytime somebody tells me about guardian angels or guardian aliens or anything like that. Or it's, and this is the first time I actually hear. I broke alien. my neck and drove a thousand miles. Okay. She, she got me. She got me home. So, you know, so I might have been hallucinating, but I got home. I don't think I was hallucinating. No. <laughs> what was it? You broke your neck it was in in '07. Huh? When was it you broke your neck? In, in 08. 08. Oh, okay. I fell off a load, and my my three, four, five, six, seven vertebrae all all one piece. It oh, was wow. pushing against the spinal cord, and it was fixing to snap it, and I would have been paralyzed from the neck down. So they cut me in the front, and then they cut me in the back, and they, they, they stretched it out, where, you know, and fixed it. Ouch. Heck of a spinal fusion, huh? <laughs> It hurts. Yeah, I bet it does. My mother just went through spine fusion surgery. It's not easy to deal with at all. It's a, it's a, it's a tough surgery. Uh, you're lucky to be alive, so you must really have some kind of a guardian you know, looking over you uh, to have uh, that kind of operation and, and still be here on radio with us on Inside the Jackal's Head. Uh, again, guys, you're listening to well, Steve I broke, Pierce. I broke Dan ribs, messed up the rotor cuff. And... Who's lucky to be here. <laughs> He's lucky to be with us tonight. Uh, you know, Steve... You know, going back to to you know what we were talking about with your personal abductions, you say you have positive uh, positive abduction or positive 
uh, encounters with these beings, I guess would be the best way to put it. Uh, do you feel any time like you've been taken like against your will, or have you gone voluntarily when they've come for you, or have they come for you? Have you been on a ship at any point? Well, um, I really don't want to get too far in this because Yvonne doesn't want me to talk about it yet, but um, I, I'll tell you one story, okay? okay. I, I, I was um, um, in New Mexico, and I was going up Highway 666, and they changed the 491 because, you know, it was the mark of the beast, and people didn't like the, the 666 on it. And I was heading towards Shiprock, and... Uh, I noticed there's light behind me, and and then it got closer, and then it got kind of like on top of me, and then um, I seen this gas station out in the middle of nowhere, and it, um, uh, it was closed, and I pulled in there, and and, and I I got out of the semi, you know how semis you got to step on it, steps on it, get up into it, and I was standing on the the, the top step holding on to the door and looking up and and I it was right above me. I could see it right in front of me. And it wasn't as bright as the one I seen with Travis when I, when Travis got that, that is the brightest thing I've ever seen in my life. When I think it got brighter and brighter. But anyway, I was looking at it and um I looked down the highway and I noticed some headlights were coming and I was thinking of it, you know, if they were be able to see this or not and then I, I looked back up and then I looked back down the headlights to see how close they were. And the next thing I remember, it was the next morning and they were beating on my semi door telling me that I couldn't park there no more. I have to move because they're fixing to open the store. And I had like four hours missing. And at the time, I didn't think about it because I didn't know about this. You know, I, I was never into this. Um, I've been running from this my whole life. <laughs> Ask anybody who knows me. <laughs> now, do, you, do you think that's the reason why you're having further experiences because you weren't interested and it just kind of like landed on your lap, so to speak? Yes, it seems like this, you know, it, it, it never stops. I mean, I mean, I can go ten years without seeing one, and eventually I'll see one. Now, it's funny because Travis hasn't had any further contact that he's aware of. Uh, he's, you know, he told me that he's never uh, seen anything else or been abducted again or anything like that. What he's do you never think they, said that. Well, to me, personally, he said he hasn't he, had the, any. What I've always heard is he says he doesn't say either way. He's not mm. saying he has, and he says he has, he says he hasn't. He doesn't say he doesn't say either way. Oh, well, on the show, he, he actually said that he not that he's aware of. He hasn't had. Yeah, any. well, he won't, that, he, won't, he won't say either way. But here's the question, though: You know, how come uh, you've been uh, having these experiences? Uh, you know, and Travis is not even sure that he's had any other experiences. Do I know? Why, why you, in other words? Why me? Yeah. Um, I think we've all had all, all everybody that was there that night is has been abducted multiple times. I, and, yes, I, I don't. You know, I've never talked to these guys, but I'm pretty sure that that you know something's happened to them. Mm. And I, I don't know why they, you know. I don't know why it happened to us. There's a reason, but I just don't know the reason yet. I will know one day. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you think they're ever, they'll ever update the movie or make another movie and get a little closer to like the facts? Would you like to be involved in something like that? If, if they get enough signatures, Travis said, if you send them an email or whatever, I'm not sure how to do it, but 
um, will go on his website and say something, and if he gets enough people that will watch the movie, they'll, they'll make another movie. Really? Yeah. Well, it'll just take, a, I guess, a big backing from a, a big studio. I know Travis uh, did tell me that he was interested in uh, you know redoing the at least the alien abduction part. Uh, because he really was upset the way they, that came out. Uh, it's amazing how Hollywood tries to sensationalize events and and make stuff up just to kind of push an agenda. And you're absolutely right. I mean, the, when you watch that movie, the the grays do come off as completely frightening and just uh, totally scary, like monsters. You know, they they really did push and, and that part. You, know, you know, there's bad in every race. You know, there's more right. than just one 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 type out there. You know. But they're not all bad. They're not all out here to, you know, I think they're trying to kind of like save our asses. If we don't straighten up, we're going to blow each other up, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, no kidding. We're going in that direction already, aren't we? Nuclear bombs dropping, my friend. You know, considering that you went through something like this and you've had further experiences with, you know, your own contact experiences, um, how has that affected your religious beliefs at all? Well, I was raised Pentecostal, and the way I was raised, uh, God is good, and, you know, the devil is evil. Anything's bad is, is from the devil, you know. So that kind of confused me at the beginning, but I I don't, I don't believe in the way that a lot of people believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus was a teacher and a prophet, you know, star seed, stuff like that, you know. So, um, but I do believe in Jesus, and I believe but. I believe that Adam and Eve got here by a little help with with the, with the aliens, though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's it's okay, funny because <laughs> let me let me uh, let me ask you something because this is something that I had. This is a conversation I actually had with somebody not long ago, and uh, it, this, it was somebody who is extremely religious, a, a Christian, very very Christian. Uh, and I said something to her that kind of blew her mind to the point that she stopped talking and walked away like in anger. Uh, my comment was, I asked her, do you believe in God, right? And she said, yeah, I believe in God. Of course I believe in God. God is, you know, oh, oh the almighty. And you know, I, I was, my whole life I've believed in God. I go, you read the Bible, right? And she's like, yeah, of course I've read the Bible. I know the Bible inside and out. Okay, let me ask you, do you believe in extraterrestrials? What are extraterrestrials? Well, I don't believe in aliens. Of course not. Well, what are extraterrestrials? Well, they're not from here. Okay, where's God from? heaven where's heaven not here so and by the mere definition god is an extraterrestrial yeah and that I, blew I, her I mind that. steve this lady got so upset and she just she looked at me like that's impossible but it, it, it after like a like a few minutes it made sense to her i guess and and she replied back with uh, you know what that actually was pretty brilliant because it really is at the end of the day, that's what if there is a God, an Almighty Being that created everything—the heaven and the earth, and the stars and the moon and the shine and and Pluto and Walt Disney World and you and me and everybody—the the God that created everything. You know, He isn't from this planet, right? So He is an extraterrestrial. Now, you know, it's funny how there's a religious doctrine that kind of uh, denounces any existence of aliens or anything like that, but how do you feel about the Vatican coming forward now and saying that, you know what, actually aliens uh, could be real. In fact, it doesn't go against laws of God, or God's laws. It actually fits right in with God's bigger plan. I mean, I agree with that 100%. It's funny the Vatican's coming out with that, though, now, isn't it? The what now? The, the Vatican came out with that information. Oh, the Catholic Church? Right. You know, I, I, I kind of blew me away. When they, when they said that, 
It's it's amazing that they came out and said, yeah, aliens could yeah. be a part of of God's bigger picture. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> now, Steve, you know, going back to your religious beliefs and going back to what the Vatican has said, uh, has that changed the fundamentals at all? Do you think of what you believed growing up? The way I grew up, right? Well, I I grew up. At first, I, I I thought this was, you know, from the devil, you know, at the beginning. But, um, but I, you know, I don't I don't believe that no more. I I believe this is from, you know, they're they're aliens and they're out there and and some people can see them, some people can't, and I don't know why. I ain't got that one figured out. <laughs> Some people, I guess, are, are chosen. Some people are not. You know, I've always wanted to be chosen. I, I've often made the joke that uh, I'm not one of these people that needs to have a light beam shined on them and knocked out on conscience and taken to a UFO on some kind of weird trans, you know, trans beamer thing. No, no, no. You can simply drop me a, a rope ladder. I will climb up to the ship. I'm here for them. Like, I wanted to go on that ride. I want to take that trip Travis took. I won't even get scared if I see a bunch of little gray aliens coming at me in a dark room. It doesn't bother me. Like, I want to have that experience. It never happens to me. And that upsets me because I want to have that experience that he had, uh, experiences that you've had. Why do you think it is that some people don't have the experiences like myself who want it, and then people who are not even into the subject, you know, have this happen to them? I don't know the answer to that one. Um, I don't know why they they pick some of us. You know, some people say DNA. I don't know. Me and, me and Travis got the same color eyes. Maybe they like blue eyed people. I don't know. <laughs> it could be. I got brown eyes. Maybe that's why they don't want me. <laughs> <laughs> See? Maybe that's the reason they might be coming over to your house. <laughs> <laughs> I often joke is uh, they don't take any Cubans. You never hear of a Cuban getting abducted by aliens. <laughs> um. It's it's true though you gotta admit it. you never hear about a Cuban getting abducted by aliens. <laughs> no, you know I I really I really didn't get into this. So um, that when I first got into this, I didn't know all these stories about all these other people's stories that's going out in the world. Uh-huh. You know I, I knew about um, uh, Betty and um, and her and her husband's experience because you know that happened when I was a kid. You know. And, and, but, a, and a very famous story that not only happened a long time ago, but it was nearly verified by NASA. Because remember, Betty Hill said that she was shown a star map by the beings that abducted them, and she literally remembered the star map, you know, pretty accurately. And she described, it, you know, what she saw to the hypnotic through the hypnotic regression, and she then described it to people and then went to NASA with it. And NASA took them about ten years, but ten years after the fact. They discovered the you know the very same star constellation that she saw on the star map, which verifies her story. Unless she's you know a, a, a genius star astronomer that nobody knew about, unless she's like the Mac Daddy of star astronomers, then she really was telling the truth. You know, if she, unless she had technology bigger than NASA at that point, which she didn't. She was just a housewife. Uh, that's an amazing story. Why do you think that you know that story uh, has gotten you know? Of course, Locked Away is one of the most important ones in ufology. The Travis Walton story is one of the most important ones. But what do you think since that era we haven't really had another story like that? Because like, that doesn't happen anymore. You never hear about somebody like Travis or somebody like Betty and Barney Hill having those kind of experiences like that that becomes that famous. Um, maybe they're just getting smarter and, and we, can't, we can't see them. 
I, I don't know. Are you a Doctor Who yeah. fan at all? Well, well. Exactly, Doctor Who. Are you a Doctor Who fan? A Doctor Who? I, I don't know who it is. You you don't know who Doctor Who is? Oh my uh-huh. goodness. Well, it's, it's a show that started 50 years ago. It's still on the air. It's gone through uh, you know, a lot of different actors over the years. It's about a, a time-traveling doctor, basically. Uh, not, a, not a medical doctor, per se, but he calls himself the doctor. And he's a time traveler from another planet called Gallifrey. And he travels in this little wooden, in a little, uh, you know, remember the old phone boxes that they used to have back in uh, the UK? Uh, the blue phone boxes? Well, he, yeah. he has a time machine that looks like that, basically. It's like a theme or, or something that the time machine uses for people to, when they look at it, they just think it's a phone box, but it really is a time machine. Uh, so basically, he travels through space and time with that. But there's a, a race of beings that are gray that he encounters called the Silence. And it's brilliant, the idea that they had on the show with this race of beings. Uh, that basically, when you see them, when you're able to see them, you understand what's going on. But the moment your eyes move away from them, you completely forget what happened. It's like some kind of technology to have where you completely forget that you even saw them. Um, do you think that might be kind of what's happening here where, you know, they have some kind of a technology like that that actually could be accurate to what might be going on? I really don't want to, I don't know what's going on. But <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the answers to a lot of this stuff, you know. Um, I was never really into this. And I only came out a couple of years ago and some, thing, some strange things happened to me. You know, but um, I highly recommend Doctor Who. There's a reason why they're showing themselves more. You know, and um, a lot of things I can't. I really, I don't want to talk about, and I can't talk about. So I don't know how to answer these questions. Sometimes. (laughs) Well, I highly, I highly recommend. Just as a fanboy, I highly recommend you get into Doctor Who. It's a great series. Just celebrated its 50th okay. anniversary, too. It's a great, great show. Uh, and it deals with all kind of alien life and stuff like that. You know, that's another thing. Look, Hollywood, for years, has been, I think, conditioning the world uh, with contact with aliens, with uh, the possibility of life on other planets. Shows like Doctor Who, shows like Star Trek, TV, you know, movies well, like see, I Star never Wars. watched that kind of stuff. I never... I um, Star Trek, the original Star Trek. Right. Is that lousy actor in it, whatever his name is? But, um, uh, William um, Shatner? The Shatner? That, that was before, that was before, you know, 75. Right. But af- after that, I never, I never watched Star Wars. I never watched, you know, no kind of UFO movies. I, I didn't watch them. And yeah, it, I didn't, I didn't even know this world even existed until you know, I got hurt. I, I didn't it, know Travis went out and, went out in conferences, you know, I didn't know, um, this UFO world even existed until like 2009, 2010. You know, it's funny, it's funny you say that because you really did stay out of like the loop out of everything that was going on. Uh, Somebody in the chat room, uh, Scorpio, just made a comment saying that uh, he likes how I'm trying to relate this stuff to science fiction. But you know what? The reason I relate it to science fiction is because I think a lot of our science fiction is done on purpose to condition us. It, it's not so much to kind of make you understand why, uh, you know, some of this stuff is happening uh, in, a, in a jokey manner. It's just really, I think, some directors, some producers in Hollywood, some people in, in the, you know, the big wigs with the big money behind the scenes have been told to tell these kind of stories for for a reason. And it's, again, yeah, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. 
to condition us. And, and you know, and mm-hmm. check check this out. Not only does that make sense, every time and and Steve, I've, I've researched this, looked looked into this. Every time there's a major blockbuster movie that comes out that has to do with aliens, there's a huge spike in the reports of abductions and reports of sightings in the U.S. When the movie Independence they came out in the '90s. Um, I think it was what quadrupled the amount of uh, of abduction and sightings within that week of the movie's release, which came out, of course, on Independence Day. Uh, but that Independence Week, there was a quadruple. It was like quadruple from the normal amount of people that were reporting sightings. I think there's a correlation to that. I think there is definitely some kind of correlation to Hollywood and what they're putting out as, as their propaganda and what's going on in the reality, in the real sense of the, of what's going on with the alien phenomenon. Well, you know, if if Hollywood's going to do a story, at least. Yeah, and they're gonna say it's a true story, or at least make it, you know, at least eighty percent true, you know. Ninety <laughs> be okay. <laughs> you know, how how close would you say that the uh, story was though in the movie? I mean not eighty percent, but how what percentage would you give firing this guy from what really happened? Is that what really happened? Right. What um I'd say it's probably twenty percent right. Wow, really? That that small of a percentage? Yeah. yeah. So they, in other words, they really they it's really eighty percent wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's horrible. <laughs> What's terrible about that is that's the movie that a lot of people within ufology, you know, use as an example of. You know, one of the greatest stories in the world of ufology, and then when you look at that and you hear somebody say, well, it's about 20% accurate, the rest is all make-believe BS. That blows my mind. <laughs> Me and John was making a joke about it one day. He was talking, and he says, well, at least they got us in the woods, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're in the woods, you're in a truck. That's uh, You got a guy named Travis <laughs> and a guy named Mike. Here, right? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think you're not giving the movie enough credit. I think they got a little bit more accurate. I mean, there was a guy named Travis... He runs out of a truck. He gets hit by a beam. All this stuff really happened at some point. Now, you said that the UFO was a lot further up or further well, away. Uh-huh. When you guys were in the truck, you said the UFO was a lot further away than they showed in the movie also, right? Um, I don't know. It was close enough to throw a rock at. Oh, really? So it was pretty close then. Now, how big, I mean, from your assessment, I mean, I know this is a long time ago, but how big was this ship? I mean, how big... About diameter. forty feet, thirty to forty feet, maybe I'd say closer to forty feet long. About forty feet. Yeah, you could fit a couple people in there easily. And um, I'd say, I know it looked like two cake pans on top of each other. Then it was, it was solid white. See, that's what in, in the movie it looks like some kind of I don't know volcano looking thing. I'm not sure right. what it's supposed to what it's supposed to be. That's supposed to be, and almost like a lava or it, molten lava or something under there. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of stupid. What, what does that got to do with a spaceship anyway? <laughs> well, you know? it's alien technology, Steve. <laughs> Who knows what, how they run their ships? I mean, it's it's alien, right? I mean, you know, that's one thing, though, and, and I will say this for the fallacies in the movie. Uh, I will say this, that they did capture an alien feel to the ship and to the aliens. Oh, yeah, the, movie, the movie's a good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. I mean, it, it's not by any means a, a bad movie in just it, if you watch it as a movie. And representing, just watch it. Watch it as a sci-fi movie, right? Cause... Exactly. Representing based on a true story, loosely based because, like you said, it's loosely based. Considering they messed up all those all those facts. Uh, now, you know, let's move on for that because we don't have a whole lot of time here, uh, Steve. Well, uh, well I got, I got, I got one. Um, if you guys really want to see a good one, uh, Paranormal Witness on the Sci-Fi Channel. Uh-huh. I think 
comes on Wednesday nights. They did a thing on us last year, and the first one was an hour and a half long. And if you want to see all of us together, Kenny Peterson's there, John Gallet's on there, um, Mike Rogers on there, I'm on there, of course Travis is on there. The the cop that two of the cops that were involved in it, the head cop Gillespie, he still don't believe us. He was there. <laughs> the guy that took the polygraph test, he's in there. So if you want to see a good one, this is the best one. Um, I would say this was, you know, ninety percent. 90 percent, 99 percent accurate. It's almost 100 percent accurate. I mean, it's it's almost there. How many polygraphs so have, have you taken over the years, Steve? Uh, on on this case or all together? Oh, on this case, on the Travis Walton one. This this one one time when they dragged me in front of the courthouse and made me take it. Now, yeah, you, you know that was the most mil- million. That was a that day was a bad day, man. Is that the one that you know came how, out? You, and you know how you call, feel when you getting dragged. And, in front of all these people and they think you killed somebody and you're going to take a polygraph test. <laughs> is, is that, the, that was the only test you took? Because I know Travis took multiple tests. Mike Rogers took a few well, tests. Well, Travis has. Travis yeah. has taken, uh, uh, I think it's like six um, or seven. More. Yeah, I think he's taken like six or seven, he said. But, it, you know, this is the only one you've taken in the entire time. You've never taken another test. Because I know the, the first reported test, at least some reported that they were inconclusive. Is that correct? Mine? Well, in general, like all the the guys, like the very no, first time. No, mine, mine, mine was ninety seven percent accurate. Okay. Only Alan Dallas is the only one that, that came up that way, and um, he got all pissed off because they asked if he, he killed Travis, and he got mad and ripped everything off, and he wouldn't answer the questions. He was uh, saying, so. "Why are you asking me this kind of question?" You know, but. Um, that's that's the reason he he didn't pass it because he got all mad and ripped him. That's the way Alan was. So they were pretty accurate then in the movie with Alan Dallas. Yeah, yeah, um, parts of it. Yeah, yeah. He was he was that kind of a guy. Just a. Uh, um, no, thing, kind of not 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 quite as an asshole that shows it on the movie. No, <laughs> uh, he was a good guy. Was a good guy. Uh, Wow, that's, that's amazing. I'm going to have to rewatch the movie now and uh, take notes on the stuff that they messed up. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Now, Steve, you know, move, moving off from this, like I said, uh, we have only a little bit of time left, but, you know, I want to talk about your website because you do have a website and I wanted to promote it here, stevepierce.soundfuturesdirect.com. Again, that's stevepierce.soundfuturesdirect.com. Tell us a little bit about the website. Um, I, it just been up for the past week and I'm just messing with it now and I'll put stuff up on there and on shows and conferences and stuff and let you know what's going on in the world, you know, but it's kind of like a new toy. I, I'm not exactly, had a, I'm not too good with it yet. <laughs> <laughs> now, are you going to be posting stuff there like from upcoming, uh, uh conferences? Like, do you have some upcoming conferences, uh, that you want to plug? Yeah, I, I will be, um... I will be in uh, um, uh, Roswell, New Mexico, on, on the Fourth of July at their at their Roswell. Um, I'll be in Roswell on Fourth of July. I'll post that uh, here in a couple weeks. Very cool. And uh, you know that's another case right there. How do you feel about the Roswell crash itself in '47? Um, my theory. Yeah. <laughs> By all means, this is me now. <laughs> I believe we shot them down. Really? I believe that it wasn't a crash. They didn't actually crash. 
I believe we sh- that the military shot him down. But, you know, everybody's got their own little little story about it, but that's my opinion. So you definitely believe that something crash-landed and, we, and it was shot well, down? Well, look, at, well, look what started in 47. Um, the CIA started in 47. Air mm-hmm. Force started in 47. Um, there's all kinds of government stuff that started in 1947. Doesn't that kind of like ring a bell? <laughs> That's true. And technology really has taken off like crazy since uh, the 50s. I mean, it, yeah, it, yeah. it's been all kind so, of uh, innovative you know, stuff. Uh, it, it's amazing what we can do with computers and all kinds of things. Now, do you think a lot of the technologies we have now are really from that crash or from other crashes we've uh, back-engineered stuff? I believe we learned a lot from them. I can't tell you exactly what, but... Um, but yeah, I believe we've learned some from him. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta agree with that. Uh, definitely Velcro. That has to be alien technology. How the heck did they stick together like that? I'll never get Velcro. I just don't understand Velcro. <laughs> How does it but, work? You know, they're, know, they're they're here for a reason, and you know, and someday they're going to show themselves. You know, and I just See, that, don't know. That's another the good question. Yet. That's another good question. Do you think there will ever be disclosure on the subject? Yes. Like official I don't, disclosure. I don't, I, don't, I don't believe it's going to be tomorrow. Like some people believe, you know, this, uh, you know, but but it's coming. We're not ready for it. I don't believe uh, the world, you know, I believe, you know what happened uh, on that radio show back in the 40s when the guy said that, you know, he was denouncing it, the UFO landed. Right. And you know what I'm talking about? Rule of the world, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. You know how everybody panic? Well, mm-hmm. I think they would do the same thing. I think these Christians will are going to have a rude awakening. <laughs> 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 you, know, you know, it's funny, though. I think they'll they'll try to say, oh, they're demons, and they're, you're being fooled by the devil, and that's, I think, the angle that most Christians or I got, I got super religious email. people will, would, would go to. Uh, go ahead. You got I got it. I got an email a while back saying that uh, he was telling me that um, the government is going to, you know, when God comes back, they're going to take all these people, you know, and the government's going to say it was the aliens that did it instead of, you know. Hmm. I've gotten some strange emails. (laughs) That's not that far off. You know, are you familiar at all with William Cooper? Who? William Cooper. No. <laughs> oh, you really have been out of the loop, my friend. Uh, William Cooper, very famous, passed away. He, uh, he was shot by government officials in his home. Um, William Cooper wrote a book a long time ago called Behold a Pale Horse. You ever, never heard of that okay. book either? That's just no, a, but I'm sure my girlfriend that's listening has. If, if she yeah. has the book, if she's read the book, if you can get your hands on the book, it's a great read. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in there that deals with the government. And one of the things he talked about was uh, a, a conspiracy agenda that the government had to, uh, I guess, play out a fake scenario alien abduction or alien invasion on Earth. And it would be all done just for the agenda of creating the New World Order. Uh, and it would be a, a completely fake invasion, you know, something staged by them. Do you think that at all could be could be that what might be happening here? That all the reports, everything that's been going on, it's all been you know just mind manipulation, mind control, getting us ready for a one world government. 
all done by the government itself. Uh, you know, Bill Cooper died in the hands of the government. He was a very controversial person. I know you're not familiar with him, but uh, if you look at William Cooper and what he wrote and what he did on radio and, and the book and all the stuff he did, a uh, very, very intriguing person. And the fact that he died the way he died adds a little bit of validity to you know what he was talking about. Uh, but I really do think there is some truth to that because I, I see how the government and through the media have been manipulating the subject over the last 20 years uh, to the point, like like we said earlier, they make the Greys look either like bad guys, like good guys, but at the same time, they're giving you the Greys, they're giving you that particular alien all the time, and I think there's a reason for it. Well, you know, like the CIA wrote that thing a few months ago about there's no aliens in Area 51. Like they're, they're like they're really going to miss there's something there, you know. Right. <laughs> well, for a long time, they, for a long time, remember they said there was no Area 51 to begin with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just the fact that they came forward and finally admitted that there was an Area 51, that's a step in the positive in the right direction. Now <laughs> the next thing will be like, well, yeah, we also have a couple saucers in there that uh, we. You know, either uh, they uh, back-engineered or they found in a crash. or you know, Look, there's a good chance that a lot of that stuff came from Nazi Germany also. I've had people talk about that on the show here, uh, where they believe that the Nazis uh, were working on alien technologies uh, from individuals from another planet that they communicated with uh, via some kind of a psychic link or something that supposedly... It's a convoluted story, but there's a lot of uh, of people that believe that the Nazis were working on this stuff. And of course, after we went into Germany, we defeated Hitler. What did we do? We took all the Nazi scientists and made them Americans. We brought them over and they all worked. And guess what? The, the, the reason we went to the moon was because of the Nazi technology. Yeah, huh? yeah. That, I mean, I think a lot of that has a, a lot to play also. You know, you know, there could be a chance that the, the saucer, even the crash at Roswell, might have been a Nazi test experiment or something like that. You know, some kind of a Nazi Nazi saucer that we back-engineered and, and we made work, and then it just crashed. Because, you know, that's what happens when you test like things. They crash at first until you get it right, you know, until you figure out how all the things work. And, you know, you filter out all the bugs and everything. Uh, that's a possibility, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry, I just blew a fuse and don't know how I blew it. <laughs> My lights just went out. Oh, you can... See, this is because we're talking about Nazi UFOs and Nazi aliens. Uh, uh, I know, not... the only light only fuse you know. went out was in the bedroom. <laughs> hey, I've seen, I've seen a couple horror movies that start that way. Guy on the phone, lights go out, next thing you know, you're being abducted again. It's never, <laughs> never ends. Yeah. Those movies. <laughs> um, well, um, as soon as Yvonne Smith was finished, I'll come back on your show and talk about the book. Yeah, no, you you do have a book on the way. You're you're officially writing a book. Yeah, right? yeah, it'll be on the website when uh, the cover's on there already. But uh, it'll be on the website when it's out. Very cool. Now, on the book, you're going to cover the the Travis uh, stuff also, or just your personal experiences. It's my life experience. It's Your life experience? about me. You know, of course, Travis is there because he's part of it. So, gotcha. That's only that's only one chapter. Oh wow! That's all. Travis has been condensed to one chapter. That's a pretty yeah. I put Travis just one little chapter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he. I'm I mean, sure he's I, amused I, by I, that. I mentioned him maybe twice. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure Travis is amused by that. <laughs> Such an important event, and it just gets one chapter in your life story. <laughs> well, now, you know, three books out, so <laughs> that's true. That's true. Now, listen, Steve. You know, it's, it's a pleasure to have you have had 
you on the show here and uh, and getting your side of of what happened that night and stuff. And I definitely want to have you back on when the book is ready. I'm dying to read it, man. Send me a copy. I want to read the book and see you know everything that's gone. Well, on. I have um, one last of the original. I made a few originals, but now I um, I've got a publisher and we're going to change the book. So very cool. Uh, send me your address and I'll send you when you can read it. Awesome. I'd, I'd love to read that. Again, it's the, the website is stevepierce.soundfuturesdirect.com. Everybody, please go to the website there and uh, check out uh, you know the book when it comes out. When is there an official release date, Steve? Do you know? Um, about two, two more months, maybe. Two more months? Yeah, yeah, a couple more months. Very cool. Now, you're going to be in Roswell again. When is uh, the uh, conference going to be up there? It's the Fourth of July weekend. Fourth, oh, I have it posted. Cool. I have it posted here in a couple of weeks. Very nice, very nice, uh, Steve. Man, we're all out of time. Uh, thank you so much for being here. I really did appreciate having you on the show, and uh, you know, happy to uh, you know finally uh, get to speak to you and and get your side of, of the whole thing. And again, look forward to having you uh, back on very near in the, in the near future, sometime uh, early next year. Uh, so we can put that together and uh, and uh, let your lady know that I'd love to have her on the show. Also, I know she's. Uh, a person of interest now. <laughs> okay. All right. But, hey, uh, thank you for having me, and uh, just let me know, and I'll, I'll come back on. Sounds good, my friend. Talk to you soon. Uh, hey, guys, I really appreciate you. Bye-bye. This, this is Steve Pierce once again. You know, if you go on YouTube and you put his name on there, you're going to see a lot of videos that he's done over the last couple of years uh, talking about his experiences. Also, talking about how hard he had it originally, uh, which we didn't get in into that too much. I felt like he didn't want to really touch on those subjects a little bit. Uh, but he's definitely had it rough, and, uh, you know, it's been not easy for any of them. I mean, it really has. And when you come up with something or you come out with a story like that, that you've been abducted by aliens, it's never easy. It's never easy to uh, to be that person to come out and admit that you've had that kind of experience. Uh, and, uh, you know, my hat's off to uh, Travis. Uh, again, I've talked to the man. I've experienced speaking to him and actually getting his side of, of things, and he seems like a very genuine individual. Uh, and again, Steve also seems like a very genuine individual. And I still love the movie. Hey, don't get me wrong, Fire in the Sky is still a great movie. I'd highly recommend it to everybody, so go check that movie out. At your, I can't even say at your local Blockbuster anymore, because they're out of business. Blockbuster video, but uh, buy it online on Amazon, get a DVD. I'm sure it's pretty cheap out there. You could probably get it for a few bucks. And it's worth buying. Really, is, it is a good movie. Whether you believe that you know it happened or not, whether you just want to see it as a sci-fi adventure or a sci-fi movie or whatever, uh, it's still a very, very uh, interesting storyline or a very interesting story to, to be honest. And it's a great film. Uh, I got a couple things I wanted to talk about that I didn't get to early on in the show because, of course, we had our guest on. But uh, one is uh, deals with NASA, and this is coming from ion9.com, ion9. Uh, which is a website that deals with a lot of futuristic uh, technologies and stuff like that. And a very interesting article they wrote on there. Uh, it says, what will NASA be doing with its new quantum computer? I don't know if you guys have been aware that technology is expanding and it is growing at an ever so vast rate to the point that, yes, uh, quantum computers are right around the corner. Now, earlier this year, NASA, in partnership with Google, acquired the world's largest quantum computer. But just what does the space agency plan to do with such a device, with such a revolutionary potential? Now, it says here on this article, we talked to one of their lead researchers to find out. And he says, I spoke to Dr. Rupak Buswad, 
I believe that's how you pronounce the name, Deputy Director of the Exploration Technology uh, Directorate at the NASA Ames Research Center in Silicon Valley, uh, Biswas and his team, it was actually spelled Biswas, but I'm pretty sure it's Biswas. It's one of those French-Canadian names, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And his uh, team are hammering away at the D-Wave Quantum System, this is here, the, that's currently uh, crunching away at a modest 512 cubits. It may be small, but it became clear during our conversation that NASA has big plans for its quantum computation. Plans uh, that will involve everything from managing huge repositories of data through the space exploration and uh, the coordination of space-based robotic rovers. Now, indeed, quantum systems have the potential, at least theoretically, to really change the way that we go about computation. Unlike traditional silicon-based computers, or carbon nanotubes computers for that matter, these systems tap into an eerie effect of quantum mechanics, namely superposition, entanglement, and parallelism, uh, enabling themes to mull over all possible solutions to a problem in a single instant. Now, according to uh, here, physicist David du- uh, David Deutsch, I believe that's how you pronounce it, uh, the quantum system can work on a million computations at a whole at once, while a standard desktop only works on just one. So just think about that. Uh, you can work on a million computations all at once compared to what you could do now, where you can only work on it, only one computation. Uh, put it in, in another way, a 30-qubit system would be equal in processing power to a traditional 10 teraflop machine, which crunches trillions of uh, of operations each second. Definitely some futuristic amazing stuff. And the image inside uh, this shows actually the two quantum computers housed at the NASA Advanced uh, Supercomputing NS- NAS facility. And uh, it's a pretty uh, amazing uh, piece of technology, quantum computing. These computers will help us find the most expedient solution to a complex problem, such as they're poised to revolutionize the way we go about data and analysis and optimization, including such realms as air traffic control, carrier routine, protein modeling, and we- uh, weather predictions database. Uh, and that's amazing in itself. But there's so much so much more. I mean, this is going to make it easier once they get these, these computers really working at 100%. It'll make it a lot easier for us to communicate with the rovers on Mars uh, if we do send people to Mars, for example. Just imagine how much easier the, communi- the communications is going to be with this thing. If we could have quantum computers on Mars and on Earth communicating with each other. It's going to make things a whole lot easier. I mean, we definitely live in an exciting time where now we're seeing stuff like this. Uh, again, you know, I asked... Steve, before, have you thought any of this stuff could have maybe come from an alien ship? I, I don't know if quantum computers came from an alien ship or not. I don't know if computers or technology in general came from aliens, but uh, it's definitely, you know, I think mankind doesn't get the the respect that we deserve as builders and building stuff and creating technologies. And this kind of uh, technology, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's not far-fetched that we just came up with it, quantum computers. And I, I still say the Velcro, definitely alien. Do not understand the Velcro. That's definitely extraterrestrial. The Greys are responsible for that, without a doubt. But NASA officially has their first quantum computer, and, and Google involved in this thing out of, of all companies. I mean, you would expect, like, maybe Microsoft or Apple 
to be involved in, in, a, in creating a quantum computer. But Google, I mean, Google's a, a huge company, but they're just uh, expanding at a very crazy rate. Um, it says here, there's also, they're also looking into um, looking to schedule jobs on supercomputers. Uh, it says here, and in fact, NASA Ames is uh, res- uh, responsible for running the agency's uh, primary supercomputing facility, no doubt at any instant at, of time. They've got hundreds of individual jobs running on a supercomputer, while many others are waiting for their turn. A very difficult scenario would involve a job waiting to run, one that requires about 500 nodes on a uh, supercomputer with 1,000 nodes available. Which 500 of those 1,000 nodes should we pick to run the job, he asked. It's a very difficult scheduling problem, and it continues to say here. The third application is the Kepler search for exoplanets. NASA astronomers use their uh, various telescopes to look at light curves to understand whether there's any noticeable dimming representing the potential exoplanet as it moves across the host star. This is a massive search problem, one that D-Wave could conceivably help with, so these quantum computers will make even the Kepler more effective in searching for exoplanets out there. And they found so many planets already. Uh, It's amazing. They found hundreds and hundreds of Earth-like planets or very close to Earth-like planets, uh, which you don't know. I mean, if only, like, let's say out of all the hundreds that they found, if only one or two have life on them, and it's intelligent out of the hundreds, that potentially means, if you just do, uh, you know, a, a calculation of two out of every 800 planets or 1,000 planets, that's a, a lot of planets out there with life on them. So, the, you know, there's a good chance that there are aliens uh, looking over their shoulders at us at the moment. How many of them are actually coming to Earth? Well, that's a different story. That's a different uh, show altogether, and we don't have time for that tonight because we're almost out of time here on the show. But I do believe uh, there's a lot to what you know we've talked about tonight with uh, Steve and what I've talked to with Travis in the past, and there's a lot of truth to the, the whole alien agenda. If there is a bigger agenda behind the aliens, we'll find out when disclosure happens. I think it's, you know, and I said this, I think, uh, a couple weeks ago, where I think it's a lot crazier. The truth is probably a lot crazier than what even we believe the truth is. What we think the conspiracy is, you know, it's funny, you know, after watching, like, say, let's go back to Doctor Who for a second. After watching the special, Day Day of the Doctor, watching it yesterday, uh, I loved the special, but it was nothing how we expected it to be. Me and uh, Zod Ryder were talking about that, in fact, that it was completely different than what we expected. Nothing at all as we had envisioned in our minds. And that, I think, is very relatable to what is going on with uh, the alien uh, conspiracy. I think it's a lot deeper, a lot weirder, and there's a lot more going on that we are led to believe and that we even know about. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of it is being kept from us, and a lot of it, of course, is also lies and hoaxers and there's a lot of that in the world of ufology as well uh so it's not an easy thing to uh you know live and filter through uh but again we won't know anything official until it's official and uh, until then we'll just keep having shows like this and uh, keep interviewing people like steve and like travis and uh steve bassett who's going to be on the show pretty soon and he has Something that just happened recently that I want to talk about with him when he comes on the show in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's going to be a fun time. Uh, the rest of this year, I have uh, the rest of the year booked. I have, like I said, Steve Bassett on next. Uh, he should be on with us. And then I have the return of Dennis Crenshaw, one of my very good friends on uh, on the show here. He's going to be with us 
um, in a couple of weeks as well. And I love Dennis. He's one of like one of the best guys uh, in the world of radio that I've met. I mean, I really, really enjoy uh, you know having him on the show periodically. And there's a big uh, surprise with Dennis uh, when he comes on the show. It's, it's a big announcement we're going to make with Dennis Crenshaw in uh, the next week or two. Uh, so look out for that. Please look out for that. And, of course, Dennis Crenshaw was famous uh, way before he was on PSN Radio when he was doing uh, the Hollow Earth Insider. And now he has the website, thehollowearthinsider.com, again. And he, again, has some big, big news for when he comes back on the show next week or in a couple weeks. Uh, guys, stick around with uh, with us. We're going to be uh, right back again next week, like I said, with Mr. Stephen Bassett. On December 1st, Steve Bassett will be here once again. And uh, Steve Bassett, of course, is, uh, like I said many times, one of my favorite guests, if not my favorite guest that I've ever had on. He's a political activist, and he is the leading advocate for for ending the 67-year-old program that the government has had called the Truth Embargo regarding the extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race. Uh, that's not the only thing that I talk about on this show, but it is something that I really am into. And again, Steve Bassett is a brilliant person to talk about because he's done so much work in the subject and uh, he's been involved in the subject for such a long time, uh, putting you know from his own uh, and everything that he has. And uh, I admire the guy a great deal and I uh, love having him back on and he will be back on uh, next week. And uh, then after that, Dennis Crenshaw will be with us. So, guys, it's an exciting time to be listening. Please check us back out in the next couple of weeks. We have, again, Stephen, Dennis Crenshaw, and then Joseph Mara in December as well. And just confirmed, by the way, my best friend in all of Spokane and in other parts of the country. But he's one of my best friends. UFO Phil will be here on the 29th to help usher in my birthday. I turned 36 on the 30th, and uh, to the thir- 30th to the 31st is my birthday. I have like a late night birthday, but I like to celebrate it always with UFO Phil. He's been on the show here a couple times on my birthday, and uh, he is, again, one of my best friends in the world, at least part of Spokane, anyway. And he is just an amazing human being, and I love having him on, and he's going to be with us again. So until then, guys, the next uh, month and a half is going to be a lot of fun. So stick around. We'll be back. PSN-radio.com. That's where it's at, everybody. 